Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Connections. I'm Michelle Prouse, and joining me today is Lynette Ellis and Gina Cox. And we're recording Conversations on the Couch. Gina, thank you so much for being here. Thank we're you. so glad to have you. I'm thrilled. Thanks for asking me. You're so very welcome. Lynette and I, uh, we saw that you recently had recorded a podcast, so you're a good sport to do this all over again, but <laughs> your topic is just so important, and I know that we're really super excited about just having some great conversation about grace today. Yes, I'm excited. And I just have to say, um, I was I was just so happy when I found out that Gina was moving into our ward. So she and I met just in our cars right in front of her, her house as they were moving in. But then I realized, oh my gosh, she looks so familiar. And finally, we we put it together that our sons played soccer how many years ago? Probably... Ooh, Maybe 15, 15 years ago. Years ago. So, anyway, <laughs> we're so guys. lucky to have Gina in our neighborhood and in our ward in Thank our Relief you. Society. It's so. a wonderful place. I I was nervous moving, but I just feel like I just am here for a reason and a purpose. And, and I feel so comfortable here. And it was hard leaving our home of 17 years, but we found this lot by chance. And Heavenly Father was very clear. The path to it was amazing, and I couldn't believe that it would be so wonderful. Uh, everyone here is so kind and so um, welcoming, and I feel very comfortable here. I feel like I can be myself. Oh, I love yes. that. That's yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, and I think you've done such an amazing job of putting yourself out there. Um, if you don't know someone, I think you're a really great one to just reach out and, and get to know people and help others feel comfortable as well. So Thank you, because it doesn't come naturally. I have to really get up my strength and my <laughs> courage and do that. But I have found that that is really important to do, that you can stay in your house and never meet anybody, or you can really put yourself out there. And it might be really uncomfortable, but it's been so wonderful to meet so many people in the ward. And I really did try to do that. Luckily, I moved into the holidays. So anybody I had said hi to, I took a little gift to, even if they didn't know me. <laughs> and so hopefully that helped us get to know each other better. So, Oh, my goodness. I, could, I would never have guessed that, that you, like conversation and just being like super ultra extroverted is not your normal. It's not. You fake it awesomely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, yes. Really? Oh, I mean, for sure. You, like the first time I met you too, I'm like, oh, she just looks like this super outgoing, partier, like wonderful power woman. woman. Power yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a side that I'm trying to develop. That's I amazing. I have these amazing siblings that are so dynamic and outgoing and they're so fun to be around and we're all really tall. So we have this presence. Our spouses are tall. Our kids are tall. and um. It just, I just try and be like them. I just try and, they're my good example. <laughs> I love that. I remember reading a book forever ago that talked about that. It's like, find someone you want to emulate and then, you know, quote, stand on their shoulders. You watch them. You learn from them. You, you know, you, you just try to kind of repeat some of those behaviors that you really admire in them. And it sounds like you're doing I it. Do, yeah. Like I said, you're just, you're just so amazing. Thank I just you. really love You're being sweet. around you. I'm really comfortable behind the scenes and I'm really comfortable supporting. <laughs> so being out there, yeah, it's a stretch, but 
but it the rewards and the blessings from it mm. are amazing. And so if that's part of my character that the Lord wants me to develop, then I'm going to try and do that because the blessings back to me are just, it, it's just so many and I'm so blessed. So Wow. Like we could end it right now. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I can do this. No. I was like, what trait am yeah. I going to really work on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I loved when you had Bonnie and she yes. talked about walking the pond and how we met. I met I met Margaret that way, Margaret Pearson that way. I met Heidi Willis that way. I met so many people. And, and I don't love having our dog because it's one more thing to take care of. I love our dog. But walking that pond, he's gotten me out there to walk him. And I've met so many great people. Now I'm serving in Young Women's and all of those wonderful leaders who are my friends just from that, I think that walk on that pond and meeting those people. So you do need to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just... Even if you're just at the pond. When I was Relief Society president, I was standing uh, at a door because a sister had gotten up during our meeting. It was the first meeting as Relief Society president. And I had prayed so hard for the spirit to talk to me and and this sweet lady who who was really struggling and I knew she was struggling had gotten up and left in the middle of the lesson which always concerns me and so I went home and I'm just praying fervently for this woman and heavenly father what do you want me to do what do you want me to do and my whole family's coming in for, for dinner and I just said to my family I've got to go I'll be right back and I grabbed a Diet Coke and I'm like, wait, it has caffeine. Is this right? What am I doing? And I went to her house and I stood on that doorstep with this Diet Coke and I rang that doorbell. I'm like, my father, what do you want me to do? And um, her husband answered the door and I said, hey, this is for your wife. Tell her I'm thinking about her. I love her. And um, I saw that she left a little early. I hope everything's okay. And just let her know I love her. And fast forward three and a half years later, when I got released, she said that was a turning point for her. Oh, wow. Just with a simple Diet Coke. Yes. And I was shocked because I'm like, she going to think I'm bad because I have this Diet Coke and, you know, what if she hates Diet? But it was her favorite drink. And um, it was just this little prompting. And I remember standing, when I was standing on her doorstep going, okay, I'm so nervous, but being kind is never wrong. Being kind is never wrong. (laughs) Give this to your wife till I love her, you know? And um, she said that was a real turning point for her in the ward. And um, she... In those next three years, she just came miles. And she even lost a child during that time. But she was in a position to accept the ward so much better. And uh, she's a remarkable woman. But that was it, just little things like that. Even though it's so hard, you have to just do it. Yes, I love that. Kindness it, is never wrong. It's never I wrong. Love that. Never wrong. I, yeah, I love that kindness is never wrong. And how the Lord knows everybody's so perfectly so true you're like why am i standing here with a diet coke like of all things Mm -hmm. you know like i i maybe i should do flowers or a card or (laughs) should i have brought chocolate chocolate (laughs) but But that 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 was her favorite dream yeah yeah the lord knows he He knows 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 us so So much more than us yes and and i think building that trust with him that he will never mislead you is so important yes we, we think that we know more, <laughs> and, and some of our insecurities hold us back, but the Lord knows more, and, and He will never misguide us, and um, that, that takes a lot of faith. So. That takes so much faith. You remind me of a little bit of a conversation I had not long ago with a cute sister in our ward that had recently returned from her mission, and she was 
she she got sent home for health reasons. And um, she was just telling me that before she was sent home, she was fasting, that she would have the health to stay. She had the desire to stay. And of course, no fault of her own, she ended up needing to come home to receive some for their medical treatment. And she was lamenting to me that she still was, you know, she had people that were kind of waiting on her and wondering if she was going to return or what she was going to do now that they had kind of gotten control of the situation. And I'm only, you know, I can only imagine is what I meant to say that it's, you know, she felt a lot of pressure from, from everybody that was kind of like, so what are you going to do? And she's like, I just don't know if I can make this decision. She didn't want to disappoint Heavenly Father if she were to make the wrong decision, and maybe she didn't do enough, and that's why she came home. She just had all these questions, and that's what I felt really impressed to share with her was, you put you put your work in. Yes. You did your part. You fasted. Yes. You had a desire, and then you shared those things with your Father in Heaven. And I just looked at her. I said, you're sitting here in my living room right now, which you would never have guessed. I said, but now here you are. So it looks like you made the right decision. Because if it wasn't the right decision, then something else would have intervened on, you know, some other thing would have taken your path a different way. And I think we forget that sometimes because we think, well, when we're praying for an answer to our prayers, we're going to have an answer, right? Like a conversation. I'm talking to you. I ask you a question. You would say something to me and then I would know. But Heavenly Father isn't always like that. He's like, I may give you some ideas, but it's not necessarily in an answer form. Do you know what I mean? And it's trusting that he won't misguide us. It's it's a huge practice of exercise, I think. Yes. And our free agency. Yeah. And our free agency. And so he gives us options or ideas or peaceful feelings, and then we get to exercise our free agency. And, um, you know, you can have an experience where he can say, well, you can do this, but think about the consequences, or you can do this, think about the consequences. You know, it's your mm-hmm. free agency, it's your choice. N- neither is really wrong, but which consequence do you want to have to mm-hmm. deal with? And um, I think that that's a big part of it too. He doesn't want to take away our free agency. He wants to promote it so that we can live through it and work through it, experience mm-hmm. those trials and grow from them. Right. So, so I know... You know, your thing, your saying of kindness is never wrong. That's, that's easy when, when you're being kind to someone who, who is kind as well. Yes. But I know you've had experiences in your life where being kind and probably offering forgiveness has not been so easy. Right. Can you tell us sure. maybe a little bit about... Sure. Do you want me to introduce myself first? We you know what? You're just too that. interesting. Um, <laughs> we're just going to go right into right the nitty gritty. Okay, no. here we go. No, actually, but yeah, maybe make that part of your introduction. Okay, great. Because that, that is will, so much, can, that's that your life story. In, right? Yeah, it is. Yes. It's who you are and where yes. you came great. from. Sorry, exactly. I kind of jumped. Um, you're fine. Wonderful. Yes. I. So I was born and raised in Provo. I'm the fifth of seven children. Uh, my mother and father... We're both from Provo. Both were longtime Bulldogs, Provo High Bulldogs, BYU Cougars, all of that. Uh, we, my parents had four children, and it was kind of a tumultuous household. So my mom thought that she was going to be done and work towards maybe trying to make a change in the household. My father was domestically violent with us. Um, he was, he was um, 
unfaithful to my mother. There just was a lot going on in the household. And, mm. and um, my mother was an amazing woman. She was the first student body officer, female, at Provo High School. She had wow. a full-ride scholarship to Utah State. She was a great leader. She was brilliant. And uh, it kind of came to a halt when she um, married my dad. Mm. And anyway, they had the four children. And one day my mother was walking in the church on 9th East in Provo. And you have to go in the one door and walk down a long hallway to the chapel. And her youngest child was six. He was going to be seven soon. And she heard a baby cry. And she's like, my mother loves children. And she loved mm. babies. And she said, wait, she'd had her four littles there. She was alone. My dad was real hit and miss with the church and even going. And so she opened the door to her room and there was no one in there. She's like, that's crazy. I don't know what I'm thinking. She went down a couple more doors and she said, that mother needs help. I hear this baby crying. And she opened the door and there was no one in that room. And so she told me that that was her, um, the Lord speaking to her that I was coming to the earth. And uh, so she had me about seven months later. And I think she needed to have that to know that it was okay that I was coming because she was in such a difficult situation. So there's six years between me and the brother older than me. Oh, goodness. And then she had my little sister 17 months later, my little brother. So we kind of had two families. Wow. So my dad lived with us until I was about 10, and he was getting more and more violent. He was, um, the police were involved a lot more. He was hurting my brothers. One of my brothers had lost the hearing in his ear. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom was really um, physically taking a toll on her. So she decided to go back to nursing school and um, with seven children. And my dad's requirements were that she have dinner on the table every night or she had to drop out. Oh, my goodness. So my grandma would come and my grandma raised us. My grandparents raised us as well. Because when the police would come, we'd go to my grandparents and they would take us for however many days. So they always lived really close to us. And so they'd make... And you guys, this was in the 60s and 70s. They would make seven freezer meals, put them in the freezer so that every night we had dinner on the table so she could continue in school. Wow. And she would take her little table. So your grandparents made the meals? My my grandma and my mom on Sunday nights. And I remember watching them. My goodness. Yeah. And so my mom would take her tape recorder because she'd be so tired during the day that she'd have to tape the teacher and listen to it at night. Oh. And um, she, she graduated, and I was 10 at the time when she graduated, and my dad wouldn't go to her graduation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so we were all there, and it was a great celebration. It was Utah Technical College at the time, and we were so proud of her. And then about six months later, finally, she came to me and said, your dad's going to move out. We're not going to be together. And it was probably one of the happiest days of my life. My first thought was, I'm going to live to an adult. Oh, I'm going to be an adult because my dad had just recently had this rampage and he had hurt everybody. But I think he really um, liked me for some reason. And but I was kind of in a corner and and my mom said, what are you going to do to Gina? You know, she's almost 12. It's kind of this weird rule. that He didn't touch you till you were 12. And he goes, if she deserves it, you know, she'll get it. And so that was terrifying to me. So then when my mom said he was leaving, it was a big relief. She let him come back for a couple of days, which was awful. But then he left again and he was gone for good. 
So did he ever have periods where he was just like a normal dad or would, mm-hmm. did you live in fear? Yes, all he the did. Time? So he drank, so that didn't help. Um he kind of lived like some different lives. He'd come to church with us. I was always worried because he baptized me. So I didn't get the courage until I was about 15 to ask if my baptism was legitimate. Oh, my <laughs> because by that time, he'd been excommunicated from the church. And I was always so worried about that. And they're like, yes, you're good. you know. And I was like 15. But I had worried about that since I was eight years old. And, um, <clears throat> but he did have his times where he was, he was, he was fine. And we go camping, and but you never knew. And like any domestic violence situation, the weekends were the worst, holidays were the worst. Um, you know, trigger he'd have triggers and things like that. The time that you really want to enjoy as a family, the weekends, right. the holidays, yeah. you were probably always on eggshells, always, always. And anyway, and it was hard in elementary school when they'd say, Well, we heard you're not living at your house. Where are you at? And I'd have to explain and just all these things. You know, it was a lot. But I would not trade it for anything because it made me so strong in so many ways Mm. that I wouldn't be today if I hadn't lived through this experience. And it affected our family in a lot of negative ways, even to this Mm. day. Um, But it made me who I am. And so at the time when he left, my brother, my brother was a fabulous football player and he played at BYU and everything, but he, um, a, a team had hurt his knee on purpose and he had surgery and got a staph infection and almost lost his leg. And so Lavelle, Lavelle Edwards lived in our ward and he said, if Craig will go on a mission and heal his knee, I'll still honor his scholarship because my brother had every school in the nation after him when he was a junior in high school, in high school. And it all went away when he got hurt. So Craig was convalescing and I was 11 and I was helping him. He'd come home from a date and I'd go in and help him get ready for bed. And he'd wake me up. And, but I didn't want my mom to wake up because I knew she had to go to work. And so I kind of became my mom's partner, her buddy. And when she passed away, I found a bunch of notes. She would leave me a note every morning in her beautiful left-handed handwriting. Said, Gina, take care of Craig, get him breakfast, help the kids with their homework, start dinner, vacuum the hallway. I'll see you after work. And I, that's just was my, I just did that. I just, and I loved it. And I, I anything to just not have my dad in the house. I think. And so um, money was tight. My grandparents helped us so much. They were amazing people. And um, when I was in high school, um, that was just kind of my routine. I danced. I was a dancer. Um, and I made cougarettes when I was a senior in high school. Oh, so I went cool. right into cougarettes in June. Yeah. So that was really fun. And, my, and by that time, my brother was home and on the football team. So we would go together and speak to youth groups. And then he found a girlfriend on cougarettes. And so, but that was okay because I got to speak with Steve Young and Robbie Bosco and all the really great um. football players. And we'd just pair up and go speak and um, <clears throat> paid for all my own schooling. Um, scholarships, or I did pageants, scholarship pageants that helped me pay through for school. I, wor- I would go to work at Hardee's, which was kind of like Burger King. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be there to open at 5 a.m. And I'd work until 10, and then I'd go to my classes and cougarettes at 3, go study in the library till it closed at 11, and then go home and do it again. 
and I never had a car. <laughs> oh, Gina, how? <laughs> oh my goodness. So I, I didn't have a car till I was married. So I walked Provo a lot. And if you talk to my siblings, they have similar stories. We both, we all, the only fib we've ever told is that we were older than we were to get jobs. So my sister <laughs> said that she was 16 to get a job at a sandwich shop in Provo. And, I, and my cousin knew I was 15, but I looked a lot older. She gave me a job as a waitress at a pizza parlor when I was 15. But, but we just, we did it. And we were together and we made it work. And um, it made me who I am. Anyway, sidetrack. I met my husband, Dana, uh, when I was a junior in college we, at a dance. Remember when they used to have dances like stag dances and young adult dances? And mm -hmm. I was actually dancing with a high school friend. And I looked for the girl I came with and looked back and my high school friend was gone and Dana was right there. And that's how I met him. <laughs> and he asked for a ride home and I took him and he lived across the street. <laughs> like, oh, who is this perfect. guy? He's so funny. And and we dated for a short time, got engaged quick and got married. And we've been married 35 years. We have three children. Uh, our daughter, Kylie, is 29 and she has two little girls. And her husband, Jeremy, is wonderful. And she's expecting her third girl in the fall. So we're excited about that. And they live in Harriman. And they work with us in our company. And then I have a daughter, Chloe. And she's 26, and she got married a year and a half ago, and she lives in Vineyard. They built a new home in Vineyard. It's beautiful. And she just graduated nursing school, and she's going to work up at the U, and she wants to get her doctorate, um, master's midwife to deliver babies in a hospital. Like, she's just oh, so excited about that. I've always wanted to do that, too. Yeah. Like, what a happy, not always happy, but what a... What a spiritual, awesome job. That's how she feels. Exactly. Yeah. It's and really then uh, our youngest is a boy, Kiefer, and he is 24. And he, is, he got married four months after Chloe. <laughs> and and uh, he met his wife on his mission. Our Kiefer is, no one in my family is shorter than six feet. And so even, anyway, our little Elisa he met on his mission. She was a sister missionary. And they wrote, after she got home, they wrote, and she's 5'1". <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and keep her 6'7". So, she's in the land of giants. Right, right. And, and so the Lord told us to sell our home right after Kiefer's wedding. And we had no intention of selling, but a little twin home in our neighborhood so I could stay in my ward. Um, came up for rent, and I just felt like we should rent that some reason we sold our home my kids were like what is happening went into this twin home it was all just the lord it wasn't a plan it wasn't and i said to my husband we're gonna have this twin home we're gonna stay here for five years and we're gonna take our time to build and da 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 and we were expanding our company and we want a grandma grandpa house and so forth and then COVID hit and changed everything and we had a horrible year and our accountant in our business died unexpectedly and took all our passwords and usernames. And my husband had a stroke and my daughter moved away because we were going to expand to Southern Utah. It just was a terrible, terrible, terrible year. But we found this lot we were building during COVID. Anyway, 
it was a crazy time. But my husband is a social worker. Uh, he got his degree at the University of Utah. And um, we moved to Sacramento for 10 years. I had two of my three children out there. He got his master's. And we own a company called Safeguard. We help families um, with children who are at risk. And we do a couple of things. We transport them from their homes to treatment facilities. We have a home, a safe, we call it a safe house. Our company's called Safeguard. And if the child needs to detox or um, can't get a bed or can't something, needs a couple days, they come to our safe house. And we have counselors that work with them there while they're there. Sometimes they're going between programs. Sometimes they're kicked out. It just depends. But we safe house them there. And it's just a short-term interim placement. And then we do search and recovery of runaways. And we do adult interventions. Um, adults need to choose to, to take treatment. And so my husband is a master at this. He wow. can convince someone to get help like nobody I've ever seen. And he is so good at it. And so those are the four areas. We mostly do transports in the safe house. But when he does an adult intervention, he gets that adult where they need to go. So, so we were in California for 10 years. Well, we were there for five. I came back because my mom had cancer and she passed away. Oh. And then um, I just had my, my last child. So she's been gone for 24 years almost. And then we went back thinking we'd have this great job and it took a turn. And um, I feel like my life is kind of in waves. And there's times where there's just all these trials. And that was this time. We lost our job. My son got very sick and uh, with a rare disease that put him in the hospital. And we didn't know if he would survive. And my mom died. And then I had um, a nephew die, two brothers, and my grandma die, all within two years. Wow. And that's just that oh. bubble of trial. And so... Luckily, we had kind of started Safeguard, me and Dana, in our little tiny family room, in our little on war, little cabinet. And I remember we would stay up all night. We were so worried about transports and things. And we just decided that in order to do this, we needed to come back to Utah. Plus, I wanted to be by my family. I'd lost so many family members. Mm. I wanted my children to partake of family. And even though we loved Sacramento, and we bought our house over on Murdoch Drive, mm. and then that brought us here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you have used, just listening to your story, your life story, you have used trials and really difficult, traumatic experiences to um, motivate you. And, you know, even with your father and then with your business, I think you always come out on top. Um, so I'm how, glad it looks that way. <laughs> so how, what about, what about your father during all of this time? Did you still have a, maintain a relationship with him or how was, Great question. how was that? So when I came back, we moved back here, um, and I was in a Sunday school class and they talked about forgiveness and I was really struggling with my father because now I was closer to him because demographically. Your was, and your mother was gone. And my mom this, was gone. At this point. And my father was living with one of the women that he was dating while he was married to my mother. And he built this really big, beautiful house with her and didn't help my mom out a lot financially. It was, there were a lot of elements to this that were very difficult. And um, 
But I just was struggling because it was hurting my heart and I didn't know what to do for my kids. And in the class, they said, you, don't, you are not required to forgive to the Lord's level of forgiveness. You're required to give to your own level of forgiveness. And then the Lord makes up the rest. And I felt like I can do that. So I did that. And what I realized was that I needed to show my children that I could rise above this. And that even, even people who don't treat you right, who are mean to you, who um, you don't want to be around, you still need to show them some grace. And, but I couldn't show him grace until I forgave him. So I prayed for forgiveness. I got to the level I could. And then I, the thought came in, you only have to see him as much as you want to. So we would, I would take my kids and we'd go see him on, they needed to know that about my history too, because that helped them understand me. Mm-hmm. And so we'd go visit him on Father's Day and on Christmas and on his birthday. And so two, two maybe three times a year. And uh, it was always an interesting conversation. And my kids learned a lot about me through going to see my dad. And as my dad, my dad was really tall. He was 6'7", and he was a rock mason. So if you see any rock work mm. in the Provo area from the 70s, that was my dad's work. Wow. Yeah, he worked really hard. Um, and so he, his neck and spine became very sore, and he became very feeble at a young age in his 70s. And he mm. was in a wheelchair, and he was getting more and more feeble, but he was hard to lift because he was so big, and he was just a tall, tall guy. And when he was getting to the point where he needed more assistance, his, I don't know if he even ever married her, but she took his money, his items, cleaned out his house, and she left. And (laughs) we were like, what are we supposed to do? And he couldn't take care of himself. And that's where my grace came into play. Mm. So luckily, my brother kind of took the lead with all of this. and he found a facility for him to go to. And my dad was really upset. And I remember he was so upset. And I was just praying, Heavenly Father, really, I really don't want to be here, but I need to be here. What should I do? And it said, go buy him new bedding. So I ran to Walmart and I just got him the cheapest bedding. And I brought it back. And he, he just started to cry. Because all, he, all she had left him was this floral bedspread that was awful. And I just went and got him like guy colors blue and I made his bed up for him. And, and he turned, he turned to my brother and he said, Gina is exactly like Janet and Janet's my mom. Aww. And I just thought, okay, you're not very nice. You've never been nice, but that was a great compliment. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what a great compliment that is to me. Mm-hmm. So I got him in his bed. He got kicked out of every facility he went to. (laughs) So he moved around four times. And he actually ended up back at the original one that we put him in. And they called and they said, your dad's not doing good. He's probably going to pass. And the Lord just said, nobody should die alone. Mm -hmm. I don't care what they've done or who they've hurt. No one should die alone. So I went down there and my brother was there, but he was already doing like his way of dealing was to do the business. He was contacting the mortuary, picking a day, all these things, finding a plot. And so I was just there and I just held his hand till he died. And I was the only one besides my brother was on his computer, but I, I just felt like he shouldn't die alone. And, um, 
And it was really interesting because we wanted everyone at the funeral and we felt really strong about that. And they all came and, and we had just a brief funeral. We buried him in a plot that was like an extra one. Um, his headstones, just his name and his dates basically died alone. Um, except for me holding his hand. And we went to dinner after as a family and we were so healed. Having this, this abusive situation laid to rest was so healing for my family. At least I felt that way. Yes. And we have this picture with me and my sisters with our arms around each other, sitting there at the graveside, just the back of us. And it's one of my favorite pictures because you can just see that we're healing because all of that complication and each sibling had a different relationship with my father. And I don't know what the older ones went through because I wasn't there. I just know my story. But once he was laid to rest, it's been so great with our, we've just healed so much because that one contentious piece was, is, is now in the Lord's hands. It's not in our hands anymore. Yes, and you did the work to come to that place of forgiveness as much as you could and right. allowed the Lord to make up the rest. Yes. And I think that that alone, I'm sure you were such a great example to your siblings. And I'm wondering, did, did your father ever acknowledge what he had done or the pain he had caused? Did he ever... For- Ask for forgiveness. I really hope that he would, but he had some mental issues, uh, and he did not. In his mind, he was a really good dad, and he chose to see that side of it. He never chose to see the other side of it, and um, you know that's between him and the Lord now. Yes, I'm pretty sure he'll get to see everything he did, and he'll probably be really shocked. <laughs> and yeah. so. Um, he never did. Mm-mm. Do you do you know much about his childhood? Was he yes, raised? Yes, it in was very abusive? tumultuous. Was it okay? Yes, he, his mother was an alcoholic. His father married six or seven times. They never had a home base. They traveled. His father was a miner, so they they were in all these little mining towns and no stability or anything. I mean, there's a reason for all of this, um, but. Uh, he never did. He, he, in his mind, he would, he would say when someone would, in the family was struggling, he'd say, I don't know why they're struggling. I was such a good dad. <laughs> I'd be sitting there just going, oh, dad, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. You know, when you're, be, when you're, I think when he was in those rages, he was probably full of alcohol, doesn't remember a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, he would remember that he could see the repercussions on our bodies, our faces, but, uh, he, it would always be that person's fault, you know, they deserved it. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. yeah. So, but, so that was a big deal about finding grace to the amount that I could and the healing through that. And then one of the best things about COVID was having home church for my family. Mm-hmm. We would all come together, and my daughter and son-in-law gave a lesson about grace. And they talked about when someone does something to offend you, put yourself in their shoes and say, what is the worst situation that they're going through that would cause them to be that way? 
And that was so eye-opening to me. And so finding grace for, for strangers or acquaintances is so important. It's so important, especially in our world right now. And one example of this was when my husband had a stroke, I had to become the driver, <laughs> which he became the next seat driver, which was really, really fun. And uh, we were driving down in front of the hospital in American Fork, and, and um, there was a guy, and he was kind of weaving through traffic, and he was far away, and we were coming towards the entrance of the hospital just to pass it on our way to the freeway. And he cut me off and came over three lanes. And my husband was like, what? It, you know, and I, and I instantly thought of that principle that Chloe and Cam taught us. And I thought, maybe someone's dying. Maybe his child's in an ambulance. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he just needed to get to the hospital for some reason. And it all went away. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I was just like, bless him. I hope he's, I hope what, whatever cost him to put our lives in peril, you know, it, it, it's with him. And uh, that was an amazing experience. I didn't know him, but I just thought it's not worth the argument. I don't know what he's going through, but I came to those little scenarios and it really helped me a lot. And so finding grace for strangers is very important. And I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. I remember, um, have you ever seen the movie The Shack? No. no. Oh, Gina, like your whole story <laughs> is the movie The Shack almost. Really? Oh, wow. You guys, I do not recommend it for anybody, just like anybody, anybody, because it is a very soul, it's a very soul-wrenching type movie, but it has to do with a boy who's abused by his dad. Okay. And... um the part that I wanted to, to bring up um, about this movie is they're kind of towards the end. I don't want to ruin the plot for you because it, it, it helped me heal some of the relationships that I needed to heal and understand grace. It taught it in a way. Um, so in the movie, The Shack, there's, like, um, there's a lady who plays God, and then there's a guy who plays Christ, and then there's a lady who plays the Holy Ghost. And they're just there as placeholders, right? They are, there's so, something you can see instead of, so you can like interact with them and stuff like that and kind of understand how you would interact with that member of the Godhead. And um, so this guy who's been abused all when he was little, he has, as he turns into an adult, he has these horrible, horrible things happen in his life. And it's just further just driving in his heart and his mind, just bitterness and sadness and anguish that he just can't recover from. And he can't even bring himself to worship God at all with his wife, who's just this really faithful woman. So anyway, he has this experience where we can call it a vision or whatever you want, but he spends a week with those members of the Godhead. Oh, wow. Okay. And at the very beginning, he's very, of being with these people, he's so, so mad at God. Like, what kind of a God are you that you would allow these types of things to happen in people's lives? Like, you're the worst God ever. And the person who plays God just keeps saying, you just, you don't understand. I do this because I love you. Mm -hmm. And he just, of course, lashes out like, how is this love? And of course, he has all of this baggage and heartache in his adult life and in his life growing up. And um, anyway, super, super amazing movie. But the part where I think he 
really begins to understand the principle of grace is he's having this experience with um, Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ says, go to this place, and, and then he's given this vision, and he's, he's in this, this sounds so weird, you guys. Anyway, he's watching this vision, and he sees this little boy who's being chased into the corner, like you talked about, and uh-huh. yelled at, and physically abused. I mean, this beautiful little boy, you yeah. know, kids have perfect skin and big, sparkling, <laughs> white, bright eyes. And, right. And he, he's basically saying, like, why are you... Why are you letting me watch this? I don't want to watch this. Right. That would be hard. And he says, you know, this person says, just watch this. And he says, I don't want to watch this. Who is this person? I can't handle this. He said, that's your father. Oh. Yeah. And then he understands. Of course. Right? This is the principle we're talking about. Right. Right. He saw his father as a little boy. Right. And all the tumult that he went through and, and everything that he suffered. That yes. For whatever reason, you know, you mixed up with his genetics, his, uh, who he is, his personality, you know, mm-hmm. and then he became that type of a person. But that experience for him and seeing that his dad was once a little child too. Yes. Really helped to heal that. And then the movie goes on and on, but it just kind of brings it back together how... God allows these things to happen sometimes to teach us our greatest lessons about love. Yes. Even though that's so hard to imagine, but God really sees things that, we, well, we know that. We, we yeah. know that from the scriptures. We cannot see past the outward appearance most right. of the time. It's, it takes a lot of work for us to understand somebody's heart, but God's like, I have seen the whole picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you know, just do your best. Mm-hmm. I know you're hurt. You're mine too. Yes. But this person is also mine, mine. and I'm going to work mm-hmm. this out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work this out, whatever is fair for them, Yes, in my own way. And such you know? a beautiful reason with strangers to have grace, because we, oh, yes. we just don't see know. their story. We just don't know. We just yeah. don't know. And it's, it's hard to do, but, but it's, you have to do it for your heart and for your progression as a mortal yes. human being to become more like Christ. And That's so, right. And then I, during the pandemic, I realized I needed to have some grace for myself. Oh. And and I think that um I'm really bad at that because I've mm-hmm. always just whatever the problem's been, I've dug my heels in and I've tried to work through it and solve it, learn from it, move on, you Sounds know. Sounds like your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um during the pandemic when this all happened and we were trying to buy a house and we had no proof of income and my husband was sick and I was Relief Society president and I had, we had a lot going on in our ward, of course, during this time. And, and I was trying to navigate my sweet sisters through the pandemic. And, and I had 30% of my Relief Society was over the age of 65 and Mm -hmm. they were lonely and they were, you know, and then I had, anyway, I kind of like my little, I, I love to exercise. I, I was a dancer. I love to be active. I love to work out. I, I just love that routine. It makes me feel better. And I wasn't able to do it as much as I wanted to. The gyms were closed and my husband was sick and I was trying to juggle so many things. And um, I was frustrated that I wasn't exercising as much as I wanted to. And I wasn't physically feeling, you know, we were all inside and it felt Mm -hmm. awful. And I love to be outside. My brother will tell you, I love the sun because it just makes me feel good. And I remember it had been a particularly hard day. My husband had fallen 
and he had had to go from using nothing to using a walker. And that was really hard for me. My husband was only 56 and, um, and which meant that he was unable to do a lot more things. So I had to take that on. And I was trying to, my, my daughter and son-in-law who are amazing, were trying to redo this business and, and, and keep it going and then restructure it. And, um, it was just overwhelming. And I, and I just went for a walk and one of my friends just happened to pull up and she goes, hi. And she looked at me, she's like, what's wrong? <laughs> she could totally tell, <laughs> bless her little heart. And she, her life is just a whole other story, but she noticed it in me. And I said, I'm okay. I'm just going to go for a walk. She's like, it's overwhelming, isn't it? I go, it's a little bit overwhelming. And as I was walking, I, I remember I went up in Cedar Hills and I was at a park. I remember exactly where I was at. And I'm like, Heavenly Father, I'm not going to get my weights in. I'm not going to get my, my, you know, elliptical in. I'm not going to be able to. And he said, Gina, you're doing enough. This mm-hmm. is enough. Be nice to yourself. You know, I'll make up the rest. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought, am I supposed to show myself grace? <laughs> you know, because I never had really, truly. And this was just, you know, last year. I never really had thought to be patient with myself. And so having those lessons have been really great and they've really helped me develop um, and, and make friends more easy and kind of get out of my shell a little bit. But I think, you know, as we strive to become more like our Savior, um, the one thing that I've noticed through these hard times is that we do need to show grace. And however you develop it is your own journey. And I think that as we move forward with our ward members and our family members and even strangers and ourselves, we need to completely and totally ask Heavenly Father to help us to forgive us, to repent, to forgive others, and to show grace and patience with people. Every year, we, uh, for my family, I do, at, in January, I do, I don't do goals, but I do um, just kind of our family theme for the year. And this year, it's grace, patience, patience, and kindness. And I have that on a letter board, and everybody sees it. And, that, and then throughout the year in our family text, I'll send things that remind me of those three, those three themes and just that focus. And that's our family focus. And so my mind has really been on grace a lot. And um, the blessings that come to you by finding your own grace is just remarkable. What did that look like for you, finding your own grace? It was, it was hard because we're, we put ourselves last a lot of the time. But for Especially me, as women. I yes. Think we do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we want to serve and we want to help. For me, it meant serving others. When I would jump in and serve others, I'd feel so much better about myself. And then I could forgive myself if I couldn't do everything or be everything or, you know, I would, I just say, okay, I'm going to just going to take a minute and it's okay. And it's a journey. It didn't come, you know, I mean, you think about the life I just told you, (laughs) it's been a long journey and, and super hard for most of it and super defeating for most of it. But if you can um, focus on the positive and be kind to yourself, then the Lord blesses you because he loves you as much as he loves everybody else. Mm -hmm. So 
Boy, you are such a remarkable person. That's all I, I just yes. keep thinking. Oh. <laughs> would I rebound from that? Would I, would I choose to be positive? Would I have the ability to hear immediate answers to my prayers? I mean, I, I'm just thinking of myself and all of your situations and, and just how the Lord has been able to work with you. I think you're remarkable, but oh, I'm guessing you. you think you're probably pretty ordinary. Yes. You know, you're probably like, no, I'm, you know, I make <laughs> lots of mistakes. And yes. like you said, we get really hard on ourselves and everything, but it's that you keep trying. Right. Right. And, and I, you keep getting on your knees. Right. Every day. I think, I, think, every day. I think the easy thing would have been to just be super bitter mm-hmm. about, you know, your your past with your father, but it sounds like you and your siblings have all used used this as a stepping stone to become people who um, just rise above and change change the, you know, trajectory of of what had happened in the past. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And involving the Savior. You can't, you cannot do it without him. Right. Yeah, my siblings are amazing. <laughs> they really are. And they're so uh, remarkably successful and kind and people are drawn to them. And they're just these wonderful people who have overcome so much, who have so much empathy for people who are underserved or who, you know, um, are, are financially struggling. We know because we were there. And I, it's just beautiful to watch my siblings and the service they give and just how strong they are from these lessons that we've learned. And each in our own way, you know, having these two separate families, my older siblings kind of feel like they lived one life and me and M- Michelle and Rich lived another life, you know, which we, we kind of did. They lived with my dad. We didn't. And so, um, but they just have, you know, the boys really struggled and, and the boys have passed on and they had a really rough life. And, and, um, but now the, you know, the girls are really doing well and they're really thriving and their families are thriving. We took a huge family picture a few years ago at my sister's house. And every time I look at that picture, my mom would be so proud. And every child in that picture, in their own way, in their own path, has so much success and happiness. And that is a real tribute to my mother. Because she raised us and she overcame those odds. She cooked those dinners. She did everything that was required of her to get through what she needed to get through. She gave up that scholarship. She was just, when my mom passed away, the people that worked at her grocery store came to her viewing <laughs> in their Albertsons clothes because they loved my mom so much. You knew my mom was in the room from her laugh. You could hear her across the way. And her patients came. She, um, she was the most remarkable nurse. And just one of those people that touches everybody's life just by meeting her. And um, so thank the heavens that I was sent to her. You know, she's, she was remarkable. I miss her a lot, so... Well, and you you honor her by the person that you are now because you are remarkable you. as well. Thank you. <laughs> well, and you were her right hand. Yes. For many years. Yes. And the Lord, again, I just think how he has the ability to, to see all that we are going to need. 
yep. in our life, even to the extent of he knows who we were in the pre-existence. Yes. So he is going to take whatever faithfulness and level that we were in the pre-existence and aid us in this life. I'm, right. I am such a believer of that. And it yes. sounds like even, you know, your mom receiving that very clear prompting to have you, Gina, because the Lord knew these things are going to happen. She's going to need this. Right. You know, these things are going to happen. They will need this. I see yes. that all mm-hmm. the time in my own life and in the lives of people that I'm close to. Yeah. The Lord, if we just look, uh, look for him, he's, he's there. He's prepared a way. Yes, we're so blessed. Even in our trials and our tribulations, we're so blessed. He's always there. Even when you don't feel like he is, he is. He's not someone that you can push away. He's not someone that you can move away from because he'll always be there. And um, if you look at his life, and he was always there. And and you can't, you can't, can't get rid of him. He's always there. Mm-hmm. You just have to turn to him, mm-hmm. um, because again, that free agency comes into play, and he's not going to force anything. But if you turn to him, then he's like, "Oh, good, you know, <laughs> finally, here we go," you know. And so, yeah, really, 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 really blessed. Oh well, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Such tender, <laughs> heartfelt. I mean, this was a very vulnerable podcast. Yes, it was. It kind of turned out that way, didn't it? It did, and I, <laughs> I so appreciate that you share because many are hiding those sorrows that are so deep within their hearts. Yes, and the pains that we don't know of because we don't get to know people on that level. And right. I think they will relate with your podcast today. And we so. all can relate to grace and understanding how Father works with us. It's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, you, you guys are treasure. amazing. <laughs> what a treasure. And your mother, I'm sure, is just so Aww. proud of you. And this will be your children's audio voice for when they need to, to hear their own mother. Thank you. And her story. So, yeah. Thank you for being here today. We love you so much. Thanks so much. I love you too.